The new world, as we called it, was an attempt to understand how technology was changing the way we work and the way we live. Since then, I think we can all agree there's been quite a change in the climate, a swing of the pendulum, as I called it before the news. This morning, as we near the end of our first season in the new world, let's seek some balance. In our Ottawa studio, studio today, Jerry Sinkler, director of the Exemplary Centre for Interactive Technologies and Education, that's Excite, at Simon Fraser University, and a member of the Canadian Advisory Council on the Information Highway. In Charlottetown, Peter Rukavina of Digital Island. With me in Toronto, Kevin Kelly, executive editor of Wired Magazine, and author of Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines, Social Systems, and the Economic World. Good morning, all. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Peter. Kevin, is there a backlash? Oh, definitely. Already we see it. We're calling them the Neo-Luddites, in reference to the Luddites of a hundred years ago who smashed weaving looms in England because they were being put out of work by the new machines. You have quite a ding-dong battle in the current Wired with one of the, the new Luddites. You had words with him. That's right. He's um, interested in smashing computers. He smashed one on a stage, didn't That's he? right. And um, he's against computers because uh, for a number of reasons, ultimately because he feels that they represent an industrial civilization that's destroying the environment. And Jerry Sinclair, is there, is there a backlash? Well, I think there's a backlash, but uh, maybe also, Peter, we're just growing up. In other words, we're becoming habituated to, uh, to all this technology, and um, it's not that interesting to talk about it anymore. Well, gee, we're out of luck for the next 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Rukavina, tell me what Digital Island is, because it's kind of a signal of the new world, isn't it? Well, in a way, yes, I guess. I, I run a little business out of my home uh, just outside of Charlottetown in Kingston, P.I., and I guess I muck about uh, with information for a living, uh, using things like the Internet and other nifty whiz-bang things to essentially prevent myself from having to go into town every day. Can we talk a little bit about the Internet, which is the signal? I, I said people wouldn't have heard the promo I did before the news, but I said if there is... If there are reservations, and I really have noticed this over the season, which is a very short time to have changing mind, but I said about the internet that many people, including, dare I say, myself, are finding too much junk on the internet, too much smut, although I haven't found that, I just read about it, and, and too many gimmicks. Kevin, you have thoughts about that? I think that in this new network economy that we're building, that information basically becomes free. It becomes not very valuable. What really becomes valuable are the people and the personal presence that can filter this, edit it, select it, comment on it, add some meaning to it. And that becomes very valuable because, as you said, otherwise we're going to be overwhelmed by it all. Do you feel personally overwhelmed by it all ever yourself? No, um, I am basically paid to wade through all this stuff to tell you about the five things that you should pay attention to. Peter Rukavina, do you ever feel overwhelmed? From time to time, I guess. I, I don't, I guess, tend to think of the Internet and all this sort of uh, thing in, in such lofty terms, I suppose. Uh, we're a practical lot out here, I guess, on the island, and, uh, and I tend to use uh, the Internet and all this technology, as do, I think, most people out here, to do practical things, and, and I think we just tend to ignore all the things which, which uh, aren't of really any practical use to us. So I guess uh, when, when you're talking in terms of backlashes and things like that, mm -hmm. I think we, we don't really pick up on that here, uh, just because uh, we, we make use of it uh, for what it is good and, and uh, leave the rest alone. There's another way to think about it. The web is basically a huge library. That's what's being built, is a library that's, that you can access from your bedroom. And if you walk into a library, you might feel overwhelmed by it, but at the same time, you might feel exhilarated by it. 
Yes, especially out here on the island. I mean, having access to a library which which uh, includes information from all over the world, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's an extremely powerful resource because uh, out here, uh, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic almost, uh, having that access to information when, you know, we've only had public libraries here uh, in, in a big way for, for uh, you know, the recent memory, I mean, that's, that's quite an amazing and liberating thing in some ways. Jerry, how do you use it yourself? Well, Peter, I'm no longer a recreational user. I was I was um, at an earlier point in my life. Uh, right now, I use it very practically, um, like, like Peter, as a tool. Um, but I, I'd like to comment on the library notion of the yeah. web. <laughs> it seems to me that that uh, the web, which, which um, I use very practically, you know, as a, as a, a search mechanism uh, for things that I am really looking for. But it, but as a library, it's it's a library where all the books are thrown on the floor, and someone has run around and, and tied threads between them, <laughs> and uh, the lights are off. Yeah, that's my problem with it, I think. I, I, I get the impression that it's all there, but I don't know how to find it. Yes, and that's, that's a real central problem, is how to navigate through this very uh, you know, spaghetti-like, um, web-like ecology. It's like a jungle of books, and um, we don't have the tools yet, but I think that most of these tools will be um, based around people, about individuals who have some view, some cut, a guide, some way to bring you through it, or else, like a library catalog system. I, I agree. I, I think that uh, the guides, um, the librarians, will uh, will become um, commodities in, in a sense, both uh, both as automated commodities and as as people commodities. My son, for instance, he's he's 12 years old, and uh, we have a rather fast speed uh, connection to the internet in our house, and he he uh, has learned how to um, how to navigate around on it, finding things he needs for his projects. And he just did a project on wolves, and he um, he printed out many many images of wolves for his project. And then the kids in his class started to use him as a resource. Uh, and he came home the other day saying, I've got to find a weasel for Felix. And did he find his weasel? He did. It took a lot, a lot of uh, looking, though. He had, he had to use, actually, um, somebody that he found uh, on, a, on another website who was a veterinarian. And he sent him a message asking him if there were any weasels, uh, images of weasels on the Internet. How old is your son, Jerry? He's 12. This is a very common pattern, by the way, is the buddy system. There, one of the first things we saw about this sort of web of information out there is that the, there are communities of people that spring up around it, and you often need a, another person, a buddy, someone who's been there before, to navigate you through it, much as you would use kind of a, a tracker in the wilderness. And this brings to my mind the idea, again, that this stuff is sort of like an ecology, a jungle, uh, almost a living organism out there. I think it's, it's important to point out, too, just to perhaps stand up for, for a real flesh and blood librarians that, uh, that I mean, although, although we talk about the web as something uh, electronic, I think if we take one step back and, and sort of look at information more generally, uh, I mean, public librarians, as far as I'm concerned in my life, are still the most useful information tools, mm -hmm. uh, you know, information filters, information sorters, uh, and I don't think we should underplay uh, their importance. I mean, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of places where, where the web doesn't stretch, and, uh, and I think even when the web does stretch there, uh, it's that flesh and blood uh, concept contact uh, real people and real information uh, which, which will shine through perhaps. There's some themes here I want to return to, but I have a police officer standing by. We're going to talk about crime on the internet. And just as an introductory thing to that, I want to talk for a moment about the smut, which is, Jerry, let me ask you, your 12-year-old can now dial up some of the most the grossest things imaginable. What do you do about that? Well, um, we try to talk I guess about dial-ups. An old-fashioned term, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. I I um I believe maybe maybe quite ignorantly that uh, he's not into smut on the internet yet, which doesn't mean that he won't be. Um, I I think that. Uh, 
that the internet's no different than uh, than anywhere else, um, but it's easier it's easier to access. So I think we we just have to keep talking. And um, there there are a number of tools out there now. There's there's something called Surfwatch and uh, 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 Net Nanny tools that that attempt to um, cordon Nanny? off. Yes, Net Nanny that, that try to cordon off parts of the internet or or um, pull the plug when when um, certain words are used. Um, I I think that uh, that uh, censorship and um, and uh, sort of policing don't work very well. And I think that again it's sort of the human contact talking about about uh, pornography and its harmful effects is a much uh, a much better way to go does the censorship is, is censorship not coming in because no one thinks it's a good idea or because it's impossible to do Kevin because it's impossible to do the um, internet is basically a great big river of things and trying to censor the internet is like um, trying to uh, block uh, a river it just flows around the bad sectors. It, 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 does, it doesn't stop it at all. And I think I agree with Jerry that um, it's a total reflection, it's a total mirror of our society and it's going to be no different and we have to use the same kind of social pressures to eliminate what we don't want. We have a, a, the, a bigger network operating right now in which you can send um, anything you want through the mail including um, pornographic material for very cheap and it's called the post office. And um, we're not terribly upset by the fact that anybody can, can mail smut through the post office. Peter, do you have thoughts about the smut? Well, I guess uh, I just sort of think when you know when I was growing up in in Waterdown, Ontario. I mean, not not that I was necessarily someone interested in this sort of thing, but it was generally accepted. You know, if you if you were a teenage boy and you wanted to get your your hands on a copy of Hustler magazine, you know, there was not really much between you and it. In the same way that if you, you wanted to get someone to buy you a two four, there was not much between you and it. And I I don't really think. I mean, I think we we we've already thought about this a lot, and we should we should think back to the skills uh, and, and tools that we've developed and sort of apply all of that so, the same sort of thing to uh, to the new technology. I don't think it's really different in kind. I think uh, the, the skills we already have, we just have to think back upon. Let me turn, as I, I say, on the, on the phone from his, in his office in Ottawa is Sergeant Craig Hannaford of the Technological Crime Section of the RCMP. Sergeant, good morning. Good morning, Peter. You're not the only Maori I've got on Morningside this morning. There's another one climbing a mountain in the Yukon, whom I'll be talking to live, I hope, <laughs> later on, from his perch atop well, Mount Steele. I think I'd rather be here in Ottawa. <laughs> Tell me about the, the work you do on the, the, a little bit about the, the crime, the kind of crime that's coming up in the technological crime. Are we talking here about in the Internet? Well, we're talking in, in part about the Internet. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, to echo uh, that some of your other panelists have said is that the, the Internet is a, a huge community, and that's the way I like to think of it, as a real community. And in any community, you have a very small percentage of people who, who try and take advantage of the situations or perhaps use things for criminal purposes. So we are talking about a very, very small percentage of Internet uh, users. And what do they do? Well, uh, without giving any tips. Well, there's a whole range of uh, a whole range of criminal activities that the internet can be used for, and we, you've already touched on the the distribution uh, of pornography, and that seems to be the one that uh, gets uh, the most attention these days. But uh, one of the other aspects of the internet is that you can hook onto computer systems throughout the world, and there's a whole. Uh, area where people are trying to illegally break into computer systems, uh, some are trying to steal data, uh, cause mischief, and the fact that the internet makes it so easy to sign on to computers all over the world is a real concern. Now, how equipped are the, are the police forces of the world generally to handle that? I don't imagine they taught you how to beat computer hackers when you were in Regina. No, that, that's right. Uh, well, here in Canada, the uh, the Canadian Police College, which is administered by the RCMP, has uh, uh, some of the best computer crime courses for, for police officers. There's a total of about uh, nine or ten weeks of training. 
uh, on all aspects of uh, computer crime investigation, including uh, internet uh, use of the internet and internet investigation. As a matter of fact, there was one course uh, was finished last week, and there was about ten investigators from both the RCMP and other municipal agencies who were here in Ottawa, learning how to to navigate through the internet and how to uh, to to look for things and carry out investigations. So, in Canada, we have uh, we have a very very good system, uh, and I could say the same is uh, true for the United States and some European countries. Uh, one of the problems, though, is that the Internet, as, as you know, knows no international boundaries, and um, a, a criminal can be sitting just as easily uh, in a country in Asia uh, doing uh, criminal activities, and, and it makes it very difficult for, for police in Canada or the United States to, to track that person down or to try and uh, start some court action. So we have to deal with, uh, with other countries and perhaps other countries whose law enforcement agencies uh, aren't sort of uh, up to speed on how to investigate these types of things. Kevin, has Wired looked at crime? Uh, we try and track the, the issues because um, there's actually a very interesting issue by, uh, by the fact that someone in Thailand can be breaking into somewhere, say, in America mm -hmm. or Canada, and that is whose rules apply. Um, do, do, where is that person? Are they in Thailand or are they in Canada? And um, the, the basic answer is they aren't anywhere. They're in cyberspace. And so there's been a move to try and, and um, you know, make cyberspace a sort of sovereign nation in the sense that of having a more uniform um, standards of, uh, of codes and conduct. And that's very embryonic, uh, hasn't gone very far. But the question still of where is a person when they're in cyberspace has not been answered. Jerry, is the, is the advisory committee looking at that issue at all? Oh yeah, we're we're looking at uh, at a whole range of issues ranging from security and privacy uh, to um, to uh, criminal activity on the internet. Hmm. And Peter, I did. Does this ever touch your life? Not particularly. I mean, I, when I was a teenager growing up, I, and, and, you know, the Internet wasn't really called the Internet yet, I don't think I could ever uh, call myself a hacker, but certainly, you know, I, I uh, tried to do things which I probably shouldn't have been doing at the time, nothing nothing particularly illegal, but it was the fascination of it all, I guess, which drove me, and I guess there's sort of two sorts of crimes. There's the, there's the sort of, uh, there's the playful crime, and there's the hard-edge crime, and I suppose as, as far as, you know, crime is crime to the police, but uh, I guess uh, one of the neat things that I have found, uh, and perhaps I'm not sure whether this has changed for teenagers uh, in this day and age, but, uh, I mean, there's just so much legal out there that is fascinating that perhaps there's not uh, so much a need to to hack around with uh, and, and muck about with other people's information. Sergeant, you got your work cut out for you. Yeah, it's a big beat. <laughs> Thanks very much for this. Okay, thank you. Sergeant Craig Hannaford of the Technological Crime Section of the RCMP. We'd, we've spent, I, I'm, I'm talking with Kevin Kelly with me here in Toronto of Wired Magazine and Jerry Sinclair of Simon Fraser University. She's in Ottawa this morning and Peter Rukavina is, is in Charlottetown. I just, I'm concentrating so much on the internet because it's so easy to ask all those questions about. Can I ask you three what you're making of CD-ROMs now? This is another thing that I find some people are being disappointed in, and I wonder if we didn't celebrate them too soon. Kevin? I, I think they're a total blip that will be forgotten. Really? Uh, oh, yes. They're, 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 now you tell me. <laughs> well, no, I've, I've always, I've always uh, thought that they were not really worthwhile. There was about ten... CD-ROMs in the entire world that may be worth buying, but maybe the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, uh, Mist, um, the Street Atlas of of the USA, uh, Microsoft's Encarta, and, and Microsoft's uh, Cinerama, which is a, a little collection of um, three or four different movie review um, anthologies. It's they're a very small number all, all total, and um, these almost seem to be uh, rarities. And so, in general, you can think of CD-ROMs as a very temporary thing until 
full bandwidth comes onto the internet because you don't want to have to buy these plastic things. You really want to have the stuff updated every week, every month, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a very temporary thing, so don't get too excited by it. Jerry, uh, I I agree. I mean, I've I've been um, using and even making CD-ROMs for for a number of years. Right now, we're doing a, a project on the Prime Ministers of Canada that will be released on a CD-ROM, and we're we're using um, all kinds of archival uh, footage and uh, video clips, audio clips, and basically, I, I really need about 12 CDs in order to do to do the project the way I want to do it. And we're con, you know constrained to one or maybe two. So I so I think Kevin is definitely right. We're looking for broadband uh, communications on you know either through interactive television or or when the uh, the internet um, uh, becomes wideband, so that so that uh, we we can have um, as much information as we need. R right now, really, what what CD-ROM technology is doing, I think, is is trivializing information. You're reduced to to sound bites or or, or uh, video bites, and uh, and most of it is very disjointed and um, and not worth the the price of admission. I'm somehow yeah. relieved to hear you say that. Sorry, Peter. I, I just I just wanted to have a personal consumer reflection on that because I got all hyped on CD-ROM and got the hardware and stuff, and I have about three of them, and I think I've looked at it about twice. And it's mm -hmm. really quite... Anyway, Peter? I, I was just, I'm reminded that when we, when we talk of this about a story I read, there's a book that was written about the history of CFCY radio here in Charlottetown, which is one of the first radio stations in Canada. And uh, when it was being demonstrated to someone who had never heard or seen radio before, uh, up in rural PEI, he turned it on, and, and uh, of course, the first uh, thing he said to the person who was demonstrating to him was, uh, well, you know, I, I think I'd like to listen to some Glenn Miller now. And, uh, and of course, Glenn Miller was playing at the time, and, and I think that points out a problem both with CD-ROM and, and with perhaps even more the, the Internet and information systems that are, that are electronic. Uh, they're sort of held up, I think, as being far more than perhaps they are in, in, the, in the hype and the rhetoric. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, we, I'm showing them the Internet, and they say, well, you know, I, I want to find out more about my grandfather. And, well, I mean, it's, it's just not there yet. I mean, I think at, at some point in, in time, you know, we, we may work to have, you know, the, the Internet and CD-ROMs or, you know, whatever the information delivery tool might be generalized enough to uh, tell us about our grandfathers. But think at this stage of the game, uh, all this sort of information technology has been oversold as being uh, the solution to all of our information problems when it really isn't equipped to do so yet. Someone in my um, hometown in Pacifica, California, asked me, of course, as a presumed expert about all this stuff, about getting computers in schools, and, and I told her, basically, don't bother. Um, really? And, and the reason is, is, unless there is a ratio of one computer for every student, they don't work. Unless, unless every student has basically a laptop that they can carry around, which has only happened in one place in Australia, um, the computers are not that effective in a classroom. They're, they're, you're much better in using that money invested in other ways, because a computer sitting in the back of the classroom is is uh, is peripheral. It's it's not it's not going to be um, not going to make the change that you hope unless unless every student has access to that computer all the time. Jerry, this is right in your bailiwick. Well, I, I think that's a, a bit of a radical statement, Kevin. I, I think that uh, that uh, computers need to he be. He runs Wired magazine. He's allowed to make radical statements. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's a, a sort of almost a fascist statement. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, that truly we we want to have um, as many computers as possible, and and uh, and one computer per per student is a, is uh, something we should strive for, um, as long as long as it's, it's used wisely too. But are but, they useful when there are fewer? Sure. Um, you know, teachers can use them as. Uh, the, you know, a computer can be can emulate almost any any tool. So a, a teacher can use it as a as a teaching device at the at the front of the class. Um, students, uh, an internet connection. Now, now you can argue and say that most classrooms don't have internet connections, but an internet connection at the back of the, the classroom is useful. It's like saying you don't want to have a you know a library section in the in the classroom. Um, there there are many useful things you can do with computers. So I I, um, I would hate to see um, no computers in any classroom. I, I think it largely depends on what role you expect computers to play in the classroom and whether. You 
you sort of expect, expect them to become sort of the be in the all and the end all and the sort of the central focus of what you're doing, whether they're just a tool that, that uh, happens to be sitting in the back that uh, that wants to be consulted uh, from from time to time. Uh, I, I, I guess I wouldn't go perhaps as far as, as, as Kevin, uh, and, unless we were sort of talking about building a curriculum and building an educational system around a computer or an information appliance as, as the sort of focal point of our educational experience. Well, I'll go even farther. I, I believe computers are over. They're done with. All the effects that standalone computers will have in our society have already happened. They're, 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 they're basically, um, as standalone machines, as standalone calculating machines, computers have already made their, their impact. They've sped our lives up a little bit, but that's about all. The real revolution that we're headed into is a communications revolution. It's about connecting everything that we've made, every product, every artifact that we make, and putting a little sliver of dim ant-level intelligence into it and connecting them together. And including um, the computers. That Hence the biological in the subtitle of your book. That's right, and it, we have a web, and so it's a communications revolution that we're talking about. And so unless unless those computers are connected somewhere, and unless people have access to them as communication devices, we're not going to see very much happen from them. I wonder if we maybe should just all calm down a little bit. Uh, I'm not us here specifically, but, but society in general. Ah, the I mean, voice of Prince Edward Island. <laughs> well, calm down. Yes, indeed. I just, you know, I, I'm thinking about the fact that I'm sitting here in the middle of a field on the campus of UPEI, talking into a, a little metal thing, talking to someone in Toronto and someone in Ottawa, and I mean that 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 seems pretty amazing to me. You know, in the greater concept of technology, and uh, you know, radio's been around for for uh, for I don't know 100 to 150 years, and and I still think it's amazing, and I don't think we've really explored the boundaries of it at all yet. So I think it's it's important to not sort of take. I mean, I, I suppose there are differences in kind between analog technology and digital technology, but I, I don't ne necessarily tend to pay attention to those much. I mean, it's 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 a pond of technology, and I swim through it every day. And whether it happens to be the niftiness of radio or the niftiness of the internet, uh, you know, I make use of it uh, in in ways which make my life uh, better, and and I ignore all the other ones. So. Maybe calm down is the best advice we've had under this whole series of, all, all season long. Thank you all for this. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. I've been speaking with Kevin Kelly, executive editor of Wired Magazine. His new book is called Out of Control, and it's published by Addison Wesley. Jerry Sinclair is the director of Excite. She's also a member of the National Advisory Council on Canada's Information Highway. Peter Rukavina is president of Digital Island. I'm Peter Zosky, and through the magic of technology, you're listening to Morningside on CBC Radio.